We may wake up the next day and be something completely different. We may wake up with a completely different realization about ourselves and, you know, who we are and our possibilities and, and what we want. All of those things could change. You know, I'm the person who never stops asking the question of who am I now and what do I want now? You are listening to Double Espresso with D, with me, D Sterling. I love a great story. So in this season, I will talk to incredible people who've experienced huge, pivotal moments of real change by choice or by circumstance. From stories of reinvention and inspiring career pivots to the dramatic shifts that happen in moments of crisis, I hope you can join us each week to hear about their fascinating and inspiring journeys. My guest today on this episode of The Change Sessions is Jill Scherer Murray, author, award-winning journalist, and life coach. Jill is the founder of Let Go For It, a lifestyle brand aimed at improving people's situations through the simple mantra of letting go. Jill is the author of Big Well Love, The Unstoppable Power of Letting Go, which she published in 2020 and is now walking on her next book. After walking away from a decade-long relationship in her early 40s, she learned that the biggest love story we ever have is with ourselves. Jill talks about letting go of this relationship and letting go full stop on a TEDx talk, which has had over two and a half million views. Today, we talk about how the changes in her life have forced her to look in the mirror and ask, and answer some very hard questions. So welcome, Jill Scherer-Murray. It's wonderful to have you with me. It's so great to be here. What a great thing for me to start off, because it's only you know early in the morning or morning time here for me, to start off my day with a fabulous conversation with you to talk about letting go and big wild love and all that stuff. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm super excited. So we have much ground to cover, Jill. You did a TEDx talk, which has had over 2.5 million views. And this was about letting go, where you tell viewers about the struggle you had to walk away from quite a long relationship that wasn't working. And you refer to your monster epiphany, (laughs) where, you know, you couldn't go on and you couldn't ignore it. You were dating a wonderful man, but he didn't want to get married to you. Yes. This was a huge pivotal moment in your life. Take me to that moment and how it felt. Yes. It was, you know, I love that you're talking about the monster epiphany because, you know, we have epiphanies in our lives all the time. And when we don't like what they're telling us to do, we ignore them and we hope that they'll go away. And I say, you know, epiphanies are like, two-year-olds that just had a big bag of Swedish fish, they're not getting calm. (laughs) They're not going away. They're getting louder and louder. And so for me, that moment when I had this huge epiphany that I talk about in my book and I talk about in my talk, I was ready for it. I was ready to see it. Unbeknownst to me, I think I had already done a lot of processing around it because that's what happens. But I kept shoveling that processing down because again, I didn't like it. But when that epiphany happened, I allowed myself to be 
for the first time really to be fully in the reality of my situation. How did you realize that this was it? Because you'd probably had moments, small and large, over years where it wasn't quite working, where it didn't quite feel right. And often we ignore all those signs, don't we? We do. We absolutely ignore them because we don't like them. We want them to go away, but they don't go away. They just get louder. And I think for me, I was, that's such a great question, Dee, because I was finally ready to stop focusing on him, to stop asking why he wasn't going to give me the commitment, what he wanted, you know, his history, all the stories and the armchair diagnosing I've done, I'd done of him and why he couldn't give me the commitment. And all of a sudden I started to focus on myself and I was like, wait a minute. How did that feel? And how did that actually practically manifest itself? What did you do to focus on you? Well, you know, interestingly, I was in the bathroom where all important things happen. And I really took, a, I mean, it sounds really corny, but I took a good look at myself in the mirror, a hot mess, tears everywhere, you know, completely devastated. And I was like, how much longer are you going to sacrifice yourself for this other person? And it was like, it was like a shock. That part was more of an electric shock to me than the fact of what he, that he didn't show up for something. And I started to realize that I had been so focused on someone else that I had completely lost myself. And I felt like you've got to put one foot in front of the other and you've really got to refocus now on you. It can't all be all about the other person and why they did or didn't do what they did or didn't do. Why are you still here? Why did you do what you did? Why did you stay? Because you know, I couldn't control him. I can't control anybody. And you know what, Dee? I don't want to control anybody else. I'm tired. I got my own stuff. I want everybody to just be who they need to be. You know, I don't want to have to control you. If you're in my life, it's because I don't have to control you. It's because you are, even with all your imperfections, someone who's bringing love and joy and happiness in general to my life comes as a full person. And you know how to do that for yourself. Totally. Here's the thing, though. You know, we get used to things, don't we? We get used to people and circumstances and behaviors often that are unacceptable or that don't serve us Mm -hmm. or may no longer serve us. I mean, I always say everyone's a teacher for us in life, you know, and that includes also the people that upset us, hurt us or that we think are you know, especially like, those people, you know, especially or, or even people. people that we don't really have much time for because we learn and hopefully they learn from us on the journey of life. But we get used to norms. Right. Yes. So how did you adjust to the change? Having had this Damascene moment where you realized you had to focus on you, you were used to that person in your life. You were used to the behaviors, good and bad and everything in between. You were used to their presence. How did you acclimatize to the fact that you were going through this change and you were no longer going to be together? Honestly, for me, once I had made the decision that I was going to actually take action, I felt like Snoopy. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like... Love the analogy. (laughs) I felt like free. I felt sad in the sense that 
you know, life was going to change and I didn't know what was about to happen, but I felt free in the sense that I didn't have to live inside of this box anymore with no doors and no windows and that I actually could go out into the world. And yes, I was uncertain, but there was hope and possibility for a lot of things that I had written off for my life all of a sudden, like love with a partner who wanted what I did. Like marriage, even though, listen, I know marriage is not the end all be all, but I wanted to have that experience. And it, it makes me laugh because the divorce community has kind of adopted me. And when I talk about this and I say, I want to get married, I say, I, I, the irony of that is not lost on me, but <laughs> I wanted to have, you know, I, I say, I wanted to have someone who cared if the dishwasher was broken and was equally as invested as I was in these things. Like I wanted to have a life with another person. And the concessions that I had made, to your point, subtly over the years, one after the other, and all of a sudden there we find ourselves in this life and in all of this settling that we've done, all of a sudden it was like I woke up to it and I kind of took myself back. And that was very freeing. And yes, you know, on the other side of that was a lot of sadness and was a lot of grief knowing that things would change and that this person wouldn't be all that he'd been to me and that I would have to go out into the, the whole unknown. But that's when I started to put all of my stock and energy back into myself and to say, you know, you can survive and thrive. You know, you have been through changing your life. Goodness knows, Dee, I had been through so many horrible breakups with horrible, horrible men that I just thought I couldn't live without. And I reached back into those experiences to remind myself that, you know, the person that I was leaving was a really good person. He just didn't want what I did. And that was me up another rung on the ladder towards what I wanted, but not fully there yet. But I, I thought it's a choice between him or me now. Who will you choose? And knowing that you are who you are, you can go out into the world. And I resolved that I would be happy no matter what, even if I didn't meet anyone, even if I never got married, even if, you know, my life story was to be just single and, you know, I dated and I had all these experiences, but it never took me to the conventional experience. I would still figure out how to have a happy life. And I truly meant that. And I you was would choose it, that. right? It strikes me that this is about, you know... You, after your decade plus relationship, walked away for you and you learned that in a way the biggest love story we have has to sort of be with ourselves because that's where it that all it. starts. Why do you think, Jill, that human beings, not all, but most human beings really struggle with change? You know, there's fear around it, fear of loss, fear of taking a risk. Why do you think yeah. that is? Yeah. That's a good question. And it's safety because I think safety drives so much of what we do. I think, um, I think that's why these past two years with COVID have been so hard and so devastating for so many of us because, you know, we're, we're animals, we're hardwired for safety. And I think even if we're in a situation that isn't bringing us joy or worse, you know, it's comfortable, it's familiar, and we interpret that a lot of times as being safe. And so I think a lot of times we don't leave 
situations, love, jobs, friendships, even certain beliefs we may have or a mindset that we hold because we know it and it's safe and it's familiar to me. And the other thing that really keeps us where we, where we shouldn't stay is to your point, your previous point, the title of my book, which is Big Wild Love, which is that we don't have, we're not grounded in, we don't understand the belief systems that we're carrying around that are inspiring us to make certain choices. We don't understand or love ourselves. And when I say love ourselves, I mean, there's a lot of talk about self-love now. I'm not talking about like getting a massage or, you know, being out with friends or like all those self-carry things that are wonderful. And I would never say they're not good, but this is really about what do you see in the mirror when you are faced, when you're at the edge of the cliff? How do you know if you'll survive? right? If you don't see a net, do you know that you are the net? Do you have that capacity to understand that if you're in the wrong situation and then you choose to leave it, knowing that there may not, there's no certainty around what comes after. There's no guarantees that you're going to find the thing that you're looking for, but knowing that you will always have yourself to be okay and to be happy. And a lot of people are not in that space. So how do you recommend people get there? Well, I think, you know, we don't wake up in the morning and say, hmm, what's the weather and what do I have to do today? And I need to examine my beliefs today. Like, what are my beliefs telling me about what I'm, what I'm affixing myself today? Quite. No right. time for like, that, right? right? We, don't, we just don't <laughs> do that. Like, to your point, you know, time goes by without us noticing. And we are every day making choices about our lives without us noticing. And I think when we get to those big moments, at a certain point, if we're lucky, we use the next big moment that we're tired or we're, we just can't do it anymore. And so that forces us to that self-examination. But for a lot of people, they need to get to that really tired. It's almost like rock bottom place before they, they can stop and say, wait a minute, all these things that have happened to me or are happening to me or situations that I find myself in, the common denominator is me. And so maybe, and it's not, you know, maybe there's something wrong with me. It's not about being wrong. It's not about being defective. It's just that we, you know, who said this was a Joan Didion, like we're living in an unexamined life. Like we're not really looking at ourselves. We're not understanding our own motivations around the choices that we're making and the people and situations that we're gravitating to or bringing into our lives. And so big wild love for me was looking in the mirror and asking that question, why do I keep choosing these people that I say I want one thing, but I'm choosing something completely different? Why? Where's the disconnect? And there's always a disconnect between what we're consciously seeking and what we're subconsciously choosing. So to that point, you know, and in a way what what you're referencing here is is the examined life, someone yep. who lives with agency and, yes. and owns their actions and yep. is responsible for them, their actions, their thoughts, their gestures, their words. Yes. You went on a physical journey and you went on a growth journey. You know, you, you moved on. You yep. moved from Chicago to a small artist community surrounded by farms and wineries. Um, you met your husband which okay. is a beautiful story. Um, and you've been married for quite a number of years. What were the um, moments on that physical and emotional journey that you would highlight, which were points of change for you that helped you grow? Yeah. 
Well, so I continued the cultivation of my own big wild love, which helped me enormously. I allowed myself to feel bad when I needed to feel bad. I needed myself to feel sad and grief stricken in missing my old life and missing my old partner. When those feelings came up, I didn't run away from them. I embraced them and I, and I dealt with them. I took responsibility for my own choices and I learned how to do that in a way that was very loving to myself and not punishing. And I think the biggest thing that I did was, well, I also, you know, took the reins off. I took the walls off. So like I divested myself from any outcome. So, which actually allowed me to go into like the dating world in a very different way. Like I was no longer desperate or you know, looking for approval or looking for validation from someone else. I was not asking the question, do they like me? I was asking, do I like them? Do I like them? How did you get to that point though? Because although in the narrative today, there is a lot of talk of not having preconceptions and not going in thinking this is going to be my next husband, wife, whatever. How at a fundamental level, were you able to reframe throwing yourself into that dating market again? I mean, I feel like, you know, I was 41 years old. I feel like I'd lost everything. Like I had nothing else to lose. There was nothing else to lose. I mean, really, truly, that was it. I had been through a gazillion breakups. I had lost the one who, you know, and so I knew I had an awareness and I tell a story and I'm, I'm going to tell you this story, but I remembered that. I can't control it. I can try. I can be all these amazing things and hope they like me and do jump and do a hundred backflips for a person for them to want to be with me and hope that, but it doesn't matter. It never worked out. It never got me there. So I would have to have an awareness. It was, it's about constant awareness. So I met this one guy when I was dating and I write about him in my book and he was very, um, charming and handsome. And, you know, when I was with him, it was like, it was dreamy to be with him, except that, you know, being with him was on his terms. He would call the day of whenever he felt like it. And I would go and I did it three times, three times until I realized that I didn't want to be on that train. I'd been on that train. I knew where that train went. And I didn't want to go there again. <laughs> so I had to have, it's not, it doesn't happen reflexively. It's the self-talk. It's the awareness that we have got to, to your point, have our own agency. We have got to start making different choices. And so for me, when I started to gravitate to the old ways, I would remind myself where those old ways got me. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. And that's really how I got past it was I looked at my past experiences, which told me over and over again that, you know, you can't control another person. You can only control yourself. Totally. And to your point about choices, which is a really fundamental word here, right? Fundamental. You know, fundamental. I think also we live at a velocity whereby people don't allow themselves to settle on Mother Earth, you know. Um, We move physically at high speed. Uh, During COVID, in some ways, it, you know, 
for people who were perhaps more blessed and more privileged, it was a moment of global meditation because they had to stop. But that didn't necessarily always mean healthy um, no. introspection. In many cases, I think a lot of people struggled, struggled massively. If, even if they weren't physically sick, they were psychologically perturbed, often to Absolutely. an extreme degree, because they didn't want to look at themselves. And I think we forget sometimes that we don't have, that we have choice, that we aren't just governed by others, others' views, others' laws, etc. We can actually own it and make the choice ourselves. But I do feel people struggle with that. I agree with you. I think a lot of people move at a certain velocity because they don't want to slow down and see themselves because they're afraid to do that. They're afraid of what they're going to find there. And so, yes, I do think that this was really, really hard for so, so many people. And I think, you know, they didn't want to look at the truth of themselves. They didn't want to have to look at their situations. And so they're really struggling. When I, you know, confront the issues in my life, how do I allow myself to slow up? I also think just adding to that, often people's choices are born out of the response they get from the world. So for example, you want to change job, but the jobs may be offered to you. It's not you actively owning, mm -hmm. going and finding right. a new role. And what is that right role for you? And what does that look like? And what are you prepared to accept or not accept as importantly, right? So what would your comments, Jill, yes. be on how to I own your this. own choices? Choices, choices. I'm making notes while you talk to me because I have so many thoughts about this. We don't understand that our choices make up our life. Our choices create our reality. And so I think people are afraid to make certain choices because they don't want to make a mistake. Because if they make a mistake, then they have to take accountability for it. It's easier. And I see this all the time, Dee, where I'll talk to people and they're like, well, I don't want to choose the breakup. So I'm just going to behave badly. So they do. So then I don't have to look back and with regret and say, I shouldn't have done that. If there's no choice presented to me and I just have to deal with it, I don't have to take responsibility for it. And I think a lot of people are really afraid to make a mistake. Most people have no idea what they want. And I searched high and low for these statistics when I was writing my book. And what I found is that only one in 100 of us has any idea what we want. Because it's a hard question. Because again, what if we make a mistake? What if we claim something we want and it never happens? And then we look like fools. You know, like I'm actually working on my second book, which happens to be a novel. And I'm doing this oh, nano And um, yes, and it's, you know, telling the lie that tells the truth, which is why I love fiction. And But I'm doing this National Novel Writing Month thing with a couple of other author friends because they're keeping me accountable. And as I talk about writing this second book, That keeps me accountable. I'll do it because it's, I'm out in the world with it. I'm not afraid to claim what I want and I'm not afraid to put the work in. But was it always that way? No. And it's so limiting. And you make me think of a couple of things which are really relevant here. You know, we don't own our choices because we don't know which choices to make. And 
to where we started earlier in this conversation, so many people's decisions are around fear. They are fearful of loss. They're fearful of failure. They're fearful of looking stupid in the eyes of the rest of humanity, who, by the way, don't really care. They don't you know, care. Because <laughs> they're too focused on what they're doing themselves. <laughs> right. Right. Um, they're too consumed. We all are with the problems. Yep. You know, as I always say to my children, you know, where the tension goes, the energy flows. And yep. often that is the stuff that's bothering you that day, as opposed to understanding it's not your problem, it's someone else's and putting some strong parameters and healthy parameters around a situation. And you often reference the fact that, you know, the changes in your life, of which there have been many, from a relationship point of view and from a growth point of view and others practically with work and so forth, um, have forced you to look in the mirror and ask you who you are and, and also ask yourself some hard questions. What has been the um, hardest part of change for you in your life or the most difficult change that you went through? I hope I'm always a person who embraces change. And I think the most difficult change is actually probably happening for me right now, which is, is just getting older in some ways. I think I've gotten myself to the other side of, you know, the understanding that we all get older and, you know, it, there's an acceptance of that that needs to happen. As we feel those changes physically and we feel our impact in the world or the perception of us in the world as we get older, and this is why, D, I'm so incredibly passionate about the subject of big wild love and letting go is because, you know, even when I gave the TED talk, I prepared myself for, you know, having a TED talk on online where people are free to comment. I prepared myself for the horrible comments, which surprisingly haven't been many, even the good comments, neither one of them defines me. Only I get to define me. And these are the things that I'm learning as I'm aging, that it's okay to embrace this next phase of life and to be a person in the world who is not the 20-something or the 30-something, but who is now you know, not the person who likes to do the same thing or has the energy to do the same things or has the same desires as youth. I, I don't want to cling to that. I, the changes are inspiring me to want to embrace every stage of my life for exactly what it is and what it's supposed to be. And I think, you know, those are hard changes as we make those transitions. And they really are. They're painful. And I think it's about almost rites and rituals in life. But these are natural things in life. They're completely normal components of life, but they are quite ritualistic in some ways. Yes. Because we see time passing and these are cycles, I guess. And they come in shades, right? They come in shades. So, you know, one day we're one thing and we may wake up the next day and be something completely different. We may wake up with a completely different realization about ourselves and, you know, who we are and our possibilities and, and what we want. All of those things could change. You know, I'm the person who never stops asking the question of who am I now and what do I want now? You know, my wants and desires have changed. And I think that's hard for people because I think on one level, 
Sometimes they feel like they're betraying themselves by letting go, releasing a long-held dream or doing something they thought was going to be wonderful for them and then realizing maybe this isn't my thing. And I think we hold on to things because for all the same reasons, because we think we're betraying ourselves. If we don't, we don't want to make a mistake. We don't know what comes next. We can't see over the horizon. We can only see as far as our headlights allow us when we're driving at night. Like that's as far as we should look. And I love that so much because I don't know who I'm going to be once I can't see past those headlights. And, and there's parts of me that that's sort of the, the beauty of life. It's like I say totally. it's the beauty and horror of life is that it changes. The beauty and horror is that we need to be ready for those changes and we need to be ready to explore what they mean for us. And that's why, you know, the big wild love and the having the awareness and always being, you know, there for ourselves. I mean, things happen to us in life. And if we can't count on ourselves and if we can't know to your point, I love the focus on choices in this conversation because we can always choose. And it's not that we don't have grief or we don't feel sad or we don't make mistakes or we don't like, these are all parts of life that we must afford ourselves grace in that spirit of big wild totally. love. Totally, and that's because... beautifully put. I think, too, you're really making me think, Jill, about the role of instinct and intuition because often we're so wired and programmed to do what yep. societally we're expected to do and, you know, be an archetype that other people expect of us, which could be very confining, you know? Back to our discussion on identity, you know, sometimes people have some mega job and then they step out of it and they are no longer a partner in a law firm or right. uh, the CEO of a major organization yes, or whatever, sure. you know, and, and it's massively destabilizing because back to the identity issue, they don't know who they really are. And I feel too in this high velocity universe in which we operate, one, people put limits on the dream because they can't see it. And two, they don't really sit with their intuition. What is your advice to people to really get to that point of intuition and have clarity on the world in which they operate? Yeah. Intuition to me is like epiphany. It's the truth inside of us begging for our attention. And, you know, we don't pay attention. We don't listen because we don't love and trust ourselves. We don't trust ourselves that that voice knows better than the voices outside of us or that what our own guts, our minds are telling us, you know, the gut is the second brain. We don't listen to, we know, you know, I tell this story, Dee, I was telling this to my friends. We were out back on the deck, my, my little pod, my little COVID pod, and we make a fire and we sit out there. And I was saying how I remember the day that I finally trusted my intuition. And I was sitting in a meeting in corporate America and people were talking about something. And I was in my forties and there was somebody given an idea, one of the big wigs, and it was just not a good idea. I'm being kind. It was not a good idea. And then I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I don't really, I'm on board for this idea. And then I'm thinking, but I must be missing something, right? Cause everybody's nodding their head. They're saying, this is the greatest thing. And in my mind, I'm going, I must be missing something. And then I was like, no, I'm not missing anything. I know what I know. 
I know what I know and I trust what I know. And I know that I'm smart and I know that I have my best interests at heart. No, I know what I know. And I'm going to choose how I'm going to frame that out into the room. It's not going to be the dial inner dialogue I'm having in my head. But from that moment on, I never questioned my instincts about a situation, about a person, or about my own reality. And I would say to myself, when the instinct to be, I must have missed something. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, you know, I should do what so-and-so is saying. Or there's a voice in my gut telling me to do something that doesn't feel right and asking the question, is that my voice? Is that my mother's voice? Is that my ex-boyfriend's voice? Is that convention's voice? Is that someone else's voice telling me to do what I know is not right for me? We work our way, we mature our way into embracing that voice. And Part of the reason, Dee, that I wanted to write this book and be out in the world, because I had no agenda on that talk, but as I worked my way to this book, I wanted to give people younger, don't, you don't have to be mature. You don't have to wait until That's you're 40 so true, or 50. Right? There's even more peer pressure. Right. Like, and especially with social media, no, do it now. Be, I hear from people in their 20s, their 30s. If you can master the art of listening to your gut, listening to your epiphanies, much as you may hate them, actually looking at the person in the mirror for all the guidance you need. And this is not to say you don't need mentors, you don't need people, but at the end of the day, you get to choose those mentors. You get to choose the guidance that you, that you keep and that you let go into the world that you say, this may not be right for me. It's not about being in a vacuum and only looking in the mirror, but it's knowing that you are making sound choices and that you have those choices to make all the time and that your body is your barometer for feeling like something is right for you or a person is right for you or wrong for I you. I love that. And I, you know, I really love that you are shouting out to young people because I think it's yes. even harder. You know, you can feel so swayed. You feel because someone is in a position of authority, be it a teacher or a parent or a boss, they must be right. And often they're not. And, you know, the, the exciting news is with the speed at which the world is evolving and technology is developing, you know, some 15 year old will know an awful lot more than their parents about so many yeah. things, right? Which is wonderful. And we should Absolutely. all embrace that. Jill, can I ask you in the book, you talk about the two acts of loving yourself and letting go being a powerhouse combination, which I really love. How do you teach that combination to readers? I start with big wild love because that is really the key to everything. I really believe this. I say, if you don't have big wild love, you will not let go. If you don't know that you have the power to make choices for yourself, if you don't love yourself enough to know that, you know, you deserve the things you want and that the things that you want are available to you. If you don't have that inside of you, how could you possibly let go of something that has value to you, even if you know it's not fully right? Because the dialogue is very different. The self-talk is very different. I'm lucky to have this. I can't want for more. Look at so-and-so in the struggles. I should be happy that I have this job or this friend or this partner, even though I'm not happy, this is the best I can do. But when you have big wild love, you're saying, 
this is not the best I can do. I'm not really happy. This is good. This is a good person. This is a good job, but it's not a fit for me. And I'm going to make a plan for moving forward so that I can do that in a way that honors me and the love I have for myself and this other person or situation. And then I can figure out how to extricate myself because I know that I'm going to be okay because I will always make the right choices for myself. If we don't have that ground under our feet, we might know it's time to let go. We might think about doing it. We might stare, like I say, we might stare at the entrance to that tunnel of pain that we're about to walk through and be like, I got to get in there, but I don't think I'm going to make it out. But if I approach that and say, I know that tunnel of pain is going to be hard and I know it's going to be a journey to get to the light, but I'm going to be okay. I'm more likely to get in that tunnel than someone who's like, I won't survive it. I better just stay put. And that's why they have to be hand in hand because it's too hard. When you let go of something or someone that has value, when you're halfway through the tunnel and you don't know you're going to be okay, you're going to turn around. You're going to go back to the familiar, right? Yeah. You're going to get back with the old person who wasn't right for you. You're going to look for a job that was the same as the one you just let go of, or you're going to stop yourself from going for that promotion, or you're going to go back to the same friend who was never there for you. You're not going to be able to do it because it takes courage to let go. It takes courage to your point, to make choices that actually serve us because it forces us. If it was easy, everyone would do it all the time. Jill, I mean, I could talk to you all day. I mean, seriously, <laughs> I feel like you. you're my close friend. I am. I am. Come visit. We have room. I mean, totally. <laughs> and vice versa. But I'm going to ask you two final questions. Um, okay. So, you know, you, you've said that you no longer sleep through your epiphanies, which I totally love. What one piece of advice would you give someone today who's facing major change or who needs to make major change? Yeah. If you need to make, Oh, that's such a good question. The one piece of advice I would give them is I am a huge fan of journaling and I would just respond to the prompt of what's stopping me. I'm writing that down as well, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. Stopping me. I would just, beautiful, and I would, yeah, I would just do that every morning for 10 minutes for a week, I would keep my hand moving. I would not censor. It's not about writing a book. It's not about writing an article. It's only for us. And the first day could start with, I have no idea, but you just keep that hand moving. You go through whatever needs to come out and you do that every day for seven days. And by the end of those seven days, you will have probably a little bit of a moment. Do you because do eventually, yourself regularly? I do, actually. I do. And when I am not sure what comes next for me, when I am feeling sad that my parents are growing older, or I'm growing older, or gosh, when I go back to Chicago to visit friends and I see the, the young women that were once me, and I feel, you know, sad about you know, that I'm not there anymore, that I'm older now, or I think about the losses there. And I always have a moment for that when I go back, because if I don't take the time and I'll journal about it and I'll say, thank you for 
all the wonderful and hard things that happened here. I'm so grateful. And then I can go about my life there and be with my friends and And not be mired down. Right. I can accept that moment. And so I would definitely say, what is stopping me? What's stopping me? I absolutely love that. And I'm sure people will find that immensely useful. Jill, you are um, a shining star. You are so real and so full of life and so full of what I would call vital energy, which is a rare commodity. What do you see as your mission in life today? I joke with my friends and my family and I'm like, I was born to tell people what to do. I'm really good at it. My husband nods his head and says yes. But I guess I feel like, you know, when we get to a certain point in life, I feel like I want to be helpful. My mission is really, you know, I I need to put food and all the things on the table. And my mission is always to fulfill my creative purpose because I'm a writer and I always have been. And that's a very huge part of me and very important to me. Um, But I really want to be able to help people navigate their lives with joy and even the hard things with grounding and knowing that they're okay, that they do have agency, that they can make their own choices. And I really, really do wish that younger women would grab on because if I, I often say, if I knew then, and I don't, we all say this, what I know now, how would my life have changed? How much more agency How would that have served me? And I don't have regrets, but I do feel like that is really my life's mission is to really be helpful in the world. And um, I hope that this book and the book that I'm writing, I hope they all, you know, make a little teeny tiny little, (laughs) as Annie Lamott says, I put my little mosaic up there. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. Um, I sense intuitively, if I may, that the impact is far bigger than you even can imagine and will continue to grow. And um, it's been wonderful to have you as a guest today. Thank you so much, Such Jill, a delight. for being with me. Thank you, Dee. So fun. And thank you for your amazing questions. So thoughtful. I love them. Thank you. I absolutely loved my conversation with Jill today. She's totally someone who has had to tune in to what she truly wants for her life. Part of that ability is being able to listen to herself, which is something we discussed in detail. My takes from today are the following. Epiphanies only truly happen to us when we're ready to listen. Jill describes the moment her monster epiphany arrived as being one when she was fully in the reality of my situation. Change happens for most people when we can no longer look away from the truth. Second take. Listen to our instinct and our intuition. As Jill says, intuition is the truth inside of us, begging for our attention. And lastly, learn to let go. We forget that life is not endless, that time is not endless. We find it hard to let go because we're scared and it takes courage. It takes courage to make the choices that are actually the best ones for us. So, today, ask yourself, what is stopping you? I hope you've enjoyed this episode on the Change Sessions. Please 
subscribe and follow me on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And I hope you can join me next time. Ciao for now.